welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most informational and entertaining auto detailing podcast, hosted by Marshall Hill of Total Auto Solutions and DJ Patterson of Eco Green Mobile Detailing. Grab a pint and enjoy. Hey, what's up, everybody? Paul J. Daly, and I'm excited to announce the release of my new book, The Automotive Manifesto. Um, the subtitle is How Brand Connection Can Save Retail Automotive. And this is a book you know, geared toward the automotive industry, but really it's a book about brand and a book about connecting and pretty much saying that marketing and sales and the tactics we've used for years and years that were pay-to-play, that were advertising-based, that these things, if you ignore connection and ignore building a brand that actually empathizes and understands people, well, you're simply not going to survive. And we've seen this over and over. So I hope to shoot a little bit of energy, put a little steel in the spine of the people building brands and willing to make the change in innovating. Uh, this book's specifically a little more in automotive, but I think if you're into company culture, if you're into brand building and marketing, and just understanding that it's a journey and it's a decision you make every day can get something out of this book. So I hope you check it out, The Automotive Manifesto, How Brand Connection Can Save Retail Automotive. Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. Oh my word, DJ. Yo. Guess who we have on the episode. Who is it? Uh, you will never believe it. It's the guy that tried to fail me from the IDA SV Skills Validated. Mike Phillips, you will never live that down, man. Like, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> Uh, you're so butthurt <laughs> off that it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked to him about it in the episode. Yeah, we did. Uh, he didn't remember me. Of course, he doesn't. He sees so many different people. <laughs> like, and, and it wasn't really that bad, but it was just funny that Mike skills validated. I walk out in flip flops to Mike Phillips, who's got to grade me on exterior. What's the worst person you want to <laughs> do I'm your like, skills validated? Oh, I just sat in a class where he was teaching people, and now he's got to grade me. Oh, geez, I'm in trouble. <laughs> How'd you do? Uh, I passed. Good job, man. Passed. I had some issues, but it is what it is. You know. Hey, we accidentally give an answer away in the podcast. We do. You know what else we give away? Um, nope. Well... Guess they're gonna have to listen to find out. Interesting. We give away how that they can get credit hours for the IDA. We did give that away, didn't we? We did. And we also give some really cool information that I don't think did you know what Mike Phillips did before he started? I, I learned a lot about Mike Phillips in this episode for sure. Like I was like, okay, wow, that's he like and I had to ask him, I said, dude, what is it coffee every day you drink or like what like how do you go so hard so much all the time like his yeah. stories are just like and i did this and i did this i'm like when did you ever be a kid like when did you ever like just enjoy life like it's crazy well, i think he's loving and enjoying life oh for sure he is seem to yes definitely i don't know i think it was a lot of great perspective it was definitely good perspective for sure. Which we'll talk about next week, hopefully. I think we could do hey, that. Hey, anyway, thanks as always for listening to the Pints of Policy podcast. 
DJ, how much would it mean to you for someone to give us a rating and review? I mean, it it, it would just make my world, Marty. You know, it would make your what? It'd make my world. I, I would just be. Uh, I'm 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 already choked up for words like right now that really? for the person that's going right now and just and just in, in doing that, yes. So just in your throat. So it's, I think it's, the way it's, you do like, like right just lower your jaw a little bit. I okay. Think help. All right. Yeah. How's this? Yeah, a little bit more. Okay, uh, that, that yeah, hurts. Oh, what? All right. Hold on. Listen to the Pints of Polishing Podcast episode of Mike Phillips. All righty. Thanks as always, guys. Hey there, guys. Jonathan Munsell, the president of the International Detailing Association. And um, I was fortunate enough to be given a, a few seconds here to talk a little bit about the IDA. So I thought I would do that here today with you. And uh, if you don't know what the, the IDA is, the International Detailing Association, it's the leading industry association for professional detailing operators, suppliers, distributors, consultants to the industry. Um, and there's really two things that really govern us. You know, it's really our mission and our vision. And our mission is really about promoting the success and growth of the professional detailing community. Um, so we are really in your in your corner, and we want to do everything we can to help your business grow and to see more people come into the industry and raise the professionalism of it. Um, we also have a mission or a vision statement, which is to be the lead advocate and premier source of information for the professional detailing community. And there's no better place. We have tons of information, um, especially when you're a member, you get access to a tremendous amount. Um, and really, with all that, the you know the IDA is you know. One of those places where you know, people ask, you know, what do they get out of it? And uh, it's, this is a, a, a governing body for the people, by the people. Um, we're all volunteers from the president on down. And it's really about, you know, you, you get out of what you put into it. So, you know, when I think about it, it's about, you know, getting involved. And the more you put in, the more you get out. So, you know, find a, one of the committees that you can be involved with. Or certainly, you know, locally, we have a big regional uh push to get the IDA closer to folks in your hometown type of thing. And we'd love folks to help us out all around the, the country with that. And then the world, we're expanding chapters right now all over the world. And we can certainly use our members coming together to help do that and to further it as an international association. So if there's anything I can ever do to help, certainly reach out to me. Once again, Jonathan Munsell, or certainly go to theida.com. And there's actually a, a page there called Get Involved. So thank you very much. I hope you guys, if you're, uh, I hope your members already. And if not, I hope you join soon. Thank you. Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I've got a special guest here. Her name is Raylan Starr, the most unbelievable detailer coming out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. She's super excited to be on the show. Hi, Ray. Welcome. Introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Ray. DJ, we got her. Good job, man. Good job. <laughs> DJ, we also have a, another amazing guest. We're coming from both both sides of the industry. Uh, a more legend with him. Definitely a, legend. a legendary status. Uh, welcome, Mr. Mike Phillips. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, well, I know you said you were packing for a big road show and all that you do, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. 
Yeah, hey, thanks guys for inviting me to be part of the podcast. By the way, I, I don't like the word legend. I got my own title I really like. You want to hear it? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Blue collar working class dog. Nice. <laughs> woof. Woof, woof. Love it, man. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, Mike, so for the like two people that don't know who you are, let everybody know who is Mike Phillips. You know, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Give us all that uh, who you were as a kid type of story. years ago i was with dennis gage on his uh, tv show my classic car and uh he asked me the same question and uh he was surprised when i told him i started out as a boat detailer you know and um uh i i, I used to race boats a lot of people know i lost my leg i have a, a chrome artificial leg and uh, that's because i got ran over by my own boat and the prop got me so i've been missing my leg since i was 26 so how'd that happen and, mike um, i mean what were you well, were you skiing, right? Is that what it is? Uh, me and some friends were just down on the river getting ready to start skiing. And um, I usually like to um, not tell people and just have them look at the boat and, and imagine how it happened because um, it's a full-race drag boat. It holds a national title of 122 miles per hour in nine seconds in the quarter, which if anybody knows anything about quarter-mile car racing, nine-second quarters – with a car just flat out getting it on if you're doing that in a boat that's in, that's uh that's that's impressive but um um we were just getting ready to ski and i was sitting on the bow my buddy was driving and um we were going up the river about 30 miles an hour and he took his foot off the gas real quickly and of course i kept my boat waxed up and i slid up the front and the engine idles at about 1800 rpm you know it's so when you take your foot off the gas even though it slows down I mean, it, it's idling at about 20 miles an hour, so it just went right over the top of me, and it hacked me up so bad that in 1986, they didn't have the technology to save it. They might have been able to do it today, but not back then, so that's how I lost my leg. Man, I mean, what, what went through your head like a moment it, besides sheer agony? What, what was the second thought that went through <laughs> Well, first, of, for anybody listening to this, you know, because uh, people have all kinds of ideas what a race boat looks like, but if you go to Google Images, type in 1970 Sanger, S-A-N-G-E-R, and my name, Mike Phillips, and I got a lot of pictures of my, I had it for 20 years, I got a lot of pictures of it online, and it's a, and when I race it, I pull the passenger seat out and the driver's side gas tank, so it gets down to about 700 pounds in the hole, but, um, you know, it's interesting you ask that question. Um, when I lost my leg, um, I, I, at the time I lost it, I didn't really know what was happening, and everything just went quiet, uh, and like in slow motion. And I was, I was in shock, but I didn't know it because I'd never been in shock before. And um, I actually kind of stood there in the river. It was only about waist high. It was July 31st in Albany, Oregon, at the Willamette River where it happened. And um, I kind of drew a line in the in the in the you know just in front of me in my vision in the sky i guess you could see say and um on one side of the line i put um things i had to get done you know i like a to-do list and on the other side of the line i wrote down you know if you're not going to deal with this then don't hang around and make other people miserable you know leave this earth and um and i guess i've met a lot of people in my life you know that something bad happened and they were kind of no fun to be around and I didn't want to be that guy so on the on the to-do side of the oh Mike did we lose you hello 
There we go. All right, we're back. Right. Sorry, we lost you, Mike. But go ahead. You were you were drawing a line. You were trying to pick out if you're going to stay. Oh, yeah. You need to do this stuff. Yeah, I drew, I drew. Basically, what I did is I drew a cross. If you think about, because I drew a line in a vertical line and then a line across the top. And on one side it said deal with it, and on the other side it said don't deal with it. You know. And on the deal with it, I just started filling in all these things I had to do. And on the don't deal with this side, you know, it's kind of grim, but I thought, you know, uh, leave this earth and however way, however you want to picture that. But um, I didn't want to do that option. I, I had a lot to live for, so I chose de deal with it. And it was never an issue. You know, like I meet people all the time and say, how long did it take you to uh, deal with losing your leg? And I'm like, well, I don't know, about five seconds. You know, and uh, when I got my first artificial leg, I walked into the prosthetist doctor and um, picked up my first artificial leg, and they said, we need a schedule for therapy. And I go, what do you mean, schedule me for therapy? Well, you'll need to come back to learn how to walk on that. And I go, I'm standing on it right now. I'm walking out of here. I don't got time for therapy. I got stuff to do. <laughs> so I laughed. I don't know what they were talking about for therapy. Did you say, you were, to do. Did you say you were 26? I was 26 years old, yeah. And yep. uh, what were you doing at the time, uh, like, like career-wise? You were detailing the then, or what? Oh, I always detailed, but at the time I was, uh, I had a full-time job um, working at a, a plywood mill. I actually worked for Simpsons Plywood, and uh, it was actually a, a lot of fun. It was a real blue-collar job, you know. I pulled on the green chain. I was a dryer tender, uh, did the layup for plywood. Like, if you ever build anything out of plywood, somebody has to make that stuff, and that's what I did. I was working 12-hour shifts, graveyard, and I was making a lot of good money. I actually had nine cars, a motorcycle, and a drag boat when I lost my leg, and I was single, so oh, I was geez, getting in all life. I was getting in all kinds of trouble back then. So at what point did you pick up your first wash mitt and start washing cars? Oh, you know, like, like a lot of guys, and you know, I've listened to other guys kind of uh, do interviews like this, and I'm just like everybody else. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I, I, um, I started building hot rods, you know, model cars, plastic model cars, and like probably everybody else, uh, blowing them up with firecrackers and burn, melting them with gasoline. Um, you know, the normal stuff boys do when they're young. Um, and uh, then I was reading Hot Rod Magazine and uh, Street Rod Magazine. I always wanted to get a hot rod when I was a kid. And uh, but, but as a kid growing up in Oregon, uh, it rained nine months out of the year. And my dad always took us kids water skiing and camping. And when it comes to Memorial Day weekend, which is, you know, by the way, this coming weekend, um, a couple of weeks before Memorial Day weekend, dad would always get the, the boat out. And, you know, because we're going camping, it had been mothballed all winter. And uh, my job was to get that boat ready to go. And what I wanted to do is get it shiny, you know, get, all, get the boat looking good. And so I started washing and compounding the oxidation and getting that plexiglass window clean and taking care of the vinyl. And, um, so what did you use back – what, what year was this? This would have been what? Oh, gosh, that would have been in the, either the late 60s or early 70s. Let me see, uh, nine years old. That would have been like 1969, 1968. That's awesome. So what, do you remember what you would have used? Was it strictly oh, just gosh, turtle yeah. wax back then? Uh, well, you know, here's the thing. Back in, back in the old days like that, every dad had the same four products. You had, you had uh, DuPont rubbing compound, DuPont polishing compound, turtle wax, and armor all. And you nice. could fix anything with those four products back then. That's crazy. So what did you use yeah, on the plexiglass? 
you know, back then I would just wipe it. I'd either polish it with the fine polish, which never really helped a lot. Uh, back then I didn't understand why, but it had to do with the abrasive technology. And then I would uh, wipe it over with Armor All, and that would make it kind of temporary clear, but it, but it never lasted. You know? And in my life, I've polished a lot of plastics out. I, I've Mike, did you just say Armor All didn't last? I think we got that no, as a quote. Last. I think we got no, that as a quote. No. No. But, uh, but that, you know, you, you, back then, you know, it was whatever Dad had in the garage. That's what you used. And uh, my memories were the boat always looked good, so that's what mattered to me the most. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So when did you decide, what was your first job as a detailer? Do you remember when, uh, so you get up as a kid, you go to high school and college? What would you do there? Uh, yeah, I always detailed in high school and college, but I never had like a formal business. I just I just detailed cars and people would see the work and hire me. Uh, back then we didn't get near the money we got nowadays, and back then all we had was a rotary buffer. Right. Um, you know, there were there were. I got. I always like to let people know there were other tools on the market back in the '60s and the '70s. There was the cyclo. Uh, there was the gem, the aluminum. It's still around. There was the very the 14 pound and the 16 pound gem, and then there's the cheapy polishers you could buy at Sears and Monkey Ward. But um. But we didn't have the internet back then, so if someone didn't show you those types of tools, then all you knew was what you what you knew, and that was usually a rotary buffer. Dad had a rotary, like a old Black and Decker two-speed or something, and and of course the human hand uh, used correctly can do miracles too back then. Yeah, definitely. But we didn't have we we didn't have nothing like like people have nowadays. I mean, uh, McGuire's introduced the first foam pad in 1965. And, uh, and, and and really, there's only a couple other paths besides theirs until the 80s. You know? So, I mean, there was just, there was nothing in the 60s and 70s compared to what people have nowadays into the year 2000. So, was, but, uh, was some of that, do you think, you, you think some of that was because it was a, a base and there was no clear, and so they just didn't need as much, and people didn't no, care technology. as much? Well, I understand no, technology just, changed a lot yeah. of stuff, but, I mean, the technology of paint, changed and that's what caused the tools to change like if if we would stay at just a base coat we probably wouldn't need the amount of tools that we have now uh yeah but you know why people like choice you know oh i I get it uh, i'm just saying do you think that that's why like do you like thinking back at it now do you think it's the the way the paint used to be you just didn't need the tools nobody had the idea to create the tools because nobody needed it i think that could be part of it you know uh, I give McGuire's credit for discovering the Porter Cable wood sander and introducing it to the car detailing world as a paint polisher. And that happened in the early 1980s. And a lot of the tools that we have nowadays, everything's kind of built on the shoulders of the Porter Cable. Yeah. A, a lot of you, you, the guys in the industry nowadays don't know that, but that's that's really what the truth is. It was kind of the Porter Cable that transitioned to so many people off of either working by hand or working with the rotary buffer and that was that started out as a wood sander not as a paint polisher mm-hmm. taking a seeing that there's something needed in the industry and taking and finding a solution to fix it so good for them yeah that's awesome yeah. what what do you remember about detailing back in the in the 70s you know what what do you remember you said that you never got near as much as what guys get now what did you used to make back then <laughs> Oh man, I, I don't even remember. Yeah, beer money. Uh, that, you know, sad to say, that is true for a lot of guys. Beer money back then. Um, you know, forty-five bucks, fifty bucks to wash and wax a car. You know, wash it, throw a new finish on it. You know, b- back 
back then, and again, uh, you know, a lot of your audience may not realize this, but before the internet, um, there just was not all these different brands. So what the internet did is it leveled the playing field. And yeah. before the internet, if you wanted to launch a product, you know, you, you don't get to have your product at an auto parts store. You pretty much got to pay for the space to put your product there. And most stores, they don't want to bring in a product. They want to bring in a line of products. So, um, yeah, but, but back then, the, the, pr the predominant products on the market were 3M, uh, Meguiar's, uh, CarPro, um, uh, all these regional uh, detailing um, detailing brands uh, that cater to the dealerships and detail shops. So it wasn't like you could go down to AutoZone or even get on the Internet and buy all this cool stuff that we have today. So there, there wasn't the plethora of products out there to work with. And so by that, by that reasoning, when you go to detail someone's car, there wasn't a plethora of products to use on people's cars because they just didn't exist like they do nowadays. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I I can't imagine how small the little detail bucket would have been for a mobile detailer. They wouldn't need a big van. Wouldn't need all the other stuff. Literally, just what a hose and a couple different products. Well, exactly. It was very rudimentary uh, back then. Very, very rudimentary. I mean, detailing clay hadn't even been invented. I mean, all right. Hey, so, Mike, uh, this would be a fun question for you that you've been at it, you know, for such a long time. One one tool, one product, one thing. What has been, and we've joked about this on the podcast before, what has been the biggest industry changer for you? If you can think of one thing that's changed the industry the most. say to be honest and I, I i talk about this in my classes and i i i type about this a lot on our the auto geek forum um to the point where people probably get tired of reading about it but to me the biggest change the most the best change would be abrasive technology um i talk about this all the time and a lot of guys i can tell by talking to a lot of guys they have no idea what i'm talking about but um it, it used to be the abrasive technology was not good uh, even the good stuff wasn't good and clear coats changed all that. I, I was calling on body shops in the late 1980s uh, when I started out working for McGuire's as an outside sales rep and trainer. So I covered three states. I called on body shops and taught guys how to use the McGuire system to wet sand, cut, and buff. And um, uh, back then, uh, all the body shops were switching over to the base coat clear coat paint technology. So, you know, I had such a cool opportunity. I was calling on collision shops and dealership body shops when they were switching over from shooting single-stage lacquers and enamels to the new base coat, clear coat technologies. And they were forced to change over because if someone wrecks their 1982 Honda Accord, you know, Jim's collision shop can't spray red enamel to a base coat, clear coat red Honda. It might be the same red, but it ain't going to look the same without the clear coat on there. So because the cars changed over, the industry had to change over, and when ClearCoast came out, the old abrasive technology just simply didn't work good. It would replace one set of scratches, like sandy marks or swirls, with a new set of sandy marks or uh, scratches. So nowadays, the abrasive technology is so good on most of the brands that are out there, but not all of them, but most of them that, I, you know, I routinely take people that have never machined polished before in their entire life, and they can turn out just as good a result as all, all four of us on this phone call and it's their first time, and it has nothing to do with their technique or their skill or even the tool or the pad. It has to do with what's touching the paint, and that's the abrasive technology. So compounds, polishes, 
and cleaner waxes, or AIOs. That, to me, has been the biggest change in the industry. It enables anybody to turn out pro results without any experience or even skill, which, you know, hurts some guys' egos, but that's the truth. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, hey, Ray, what do you think the biggest... Oh, nope, not going to happen. Uh, all right, so uh, moving on to your story, uh, Mike, you know, what do you remember about when you decided to go professional um you said you you didn't didn't get paid you know professionally you just would get some beer money 40 50 bucks you know at what point did you decide oh maybe i should do this professionally and make a career out of it uh well well back then um one of the things i did was i uh, i learned the value of educating my customer to separate myself from the cheap guy and um, I went right up to exterior detailing um, to 300 to $500 for just the outside. Now, this was, again, before ceramic coatings were invented, okay? So just waxes and sealants. And uh, back when I went professional, to get three to 500 bucks to do just a wash, compound, polish, and wax, that was the top of the, the, top of the food chain there for money. And um, I, I routinely, I stay busy all the time, but... You know, it, the thing I, I learned back then... And the what year was I this? Teach, uh, that would be uh, easily in the late 1980s, 88, 89, 1990, and then ever since then. Cool. Oh, sorry, I just... Keep going. I just thought I was just... I was trying to get a time frame of when it was. Oh, yeah, from the late 80s till today. And... Um, you know, because before that, I had a lot of different jobs, and I went through college twice because I lost my leg. Um, and it was really after I lost my leg and I went to work for McGuire's that um, I discovered my passion. You know, instead of getting caught up with what everybody expects you to do, you know, go to college, get a degree, become a lawyer or a doctor, you know, what everybody expects you to do, you know, at some point you kind of follow what you like to do and then find a way to make money at it. And I always liked working on cars, and uh, I knew I didn't want to be a mechanic, so I gravitated towards the uh, detailing side. And um, But that's been ever since then. But the, the thing is, is when you got to, you know, when, where I started detailing professionally, I was between the 300 and 500 dollar range for an exterior detail. Across the street from me was a guy with a franchise doing it for 99 bucks, and around the corner was a guy doing it for 69.99. So you know how did how did I excel at what I did when I had people doing it so much cheaper around me? And it came from educating the customer, you know, spending some time up front with them, explaining what you're going to do, what you're going to use, why it's important, and um, and then when they go to talk to the other people. Well, they just could—they had no answers. They couldn't—they couldn't talk the talk. They couldn't even walk the talk. Um, and then, of course, once you start doing good work, the most valuable form of advertising is word of mouth. It kind of takes over. Their friends send you their friends. Yeah, but so you went to college where? Uh, I went to Lynn Benton Community College and Classup Community College. So one was in Albany, Oregon. One was in uh, Astoria, Oregon. And then and I studied. Of all things, I—I I, I never wanted to become a writer, but of all things, I studied writing and uh, video production and video script writing. And I didn't even ever even want to do that stuff. I, I actually went in uh, studying oceanology and oceanography. And uh, most people would ever guess that both oceanology and oceanography is really a lot of math. You don't, you know, you think Jacuso scuba diving, but no, it's doing math, and I hated math. So you did write a book. How, how long did it take you to write that? I've written five books. I've actually written seven books. Two just aren't published yet. 
And um, actually, I got three books that are done. They're just not published. And then the first, the first book I, the first book I wrote was called The Art of Polishing Paint: A User's Guide for McGuire's. And I wrote that and self-published that in 1992, I believe. 19, let me think here. 1999, 1999. And um, I wrote that on a Hewlett Packard Windows 95 computer running Microsoft Word 98, I think. Nice. And um, yeah, it was a lot of work. And that was actually, it was interesting because I self-published, which means I printed it out. This thing came out called the LaserJet 4000. Um, printer. It would print like 40 pages a minute, and I would print them up and comb bind them and take them to car shows and sell them. Wow. I know, it's, and I sold a lot of them, and uh, you know, because uh, I would go, I'd have a booth, you know, you go to a car show, and there's a guy at the booth, I was taking a black panel, and some guys had a buff out paint, someone would say, is any of this stuff, because you're, 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 I would be giving out so much information, and someone would inevitably ev- say, is any of this right now? i go, yeah, here's a book. So I'd sell the book for 20 bucks, and someone go. bought it. But someone bought a copy of that and told McGuire, Barry McGuire about it. And um, one day I was driving home um, in my 1966 Chevy milk truck, and I just got this thing called a cell phone. And this was interesting to me because nobody knew I had the number. And the phone rings, and my milk truck, you know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a big truck with a big block Chevy, so it's kind of rattly and kind of noisy. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, Mike, do you remember what rings. model? I had a Nokia. My first cell phone it was a Nokia 5120, I think, that you used to play yeah. Snake on. That was mine. Yeah. Do you remember what yours was? I, I don't remember. It was a flip phone. It was, it was phone? elementary. DJ, yeah, do you remember your phone. first phone? I do, actually. It was a, it was a Nokia. And you can, I remember you can change the face and the buttons out all the time. So every day, look, you have a new phone. But I don't remember wow. what the actual brand was. But, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I was the only kid in middle school with a cell phone. Ray? Yeah, I, I wish I had my old flip phone nowadays because it doesn't track me and everything I do. You know what I mean? I know, right? Yeah. Hey. Just talk on it. Now it tells you how much you're on your phone, how Ray. much time you've been on Instagram or Facebook and all kinds of other stuff. Ray said she remembers her first phone. The one she has in her hand? Yeah. Isn't she that young? Mine yeah. was a rumor. A what? A rumor. <laughs> What's that? It was like, it's the little slide phones, the... There's a slide phone. A slide phone? Yeah. Oh, the, the phone, little, yeah. uh, and then you just slid it up? I slid it sideways. Oh, yeah, Oh, yeah, yours was the side, the sli- and then did it have, the, like, the, uh, all the little key, uh, all the letters that came out, and you could type on it? Yeah. Yeah, like I remember keyboard. that one. I remember that one. Blackberry, right? No, it wouldn't be Blackberry. It slid out, and it was like Blackberry that had all the, uh, it had everything right there on buttons, but it, it slid to the side, and you would sit there, you would see all the, the guy sitting there, just that was when people really started getting into using their phones to text, I think, because you could have that keypad okay. right there. Well, right now Mike's in a milk truck, and it's rattling, and he's picking up his phone. Okay, and so it was Barry McGuire, okay? And I'm, I, I'm, I'm driving home after working at the mill, and I'm just like, what the, what the hell? One has my phone number. And um, he calls and says, is this Mike Phillips? And I go, yeah. He goes, this is Barry McGuire. And I'm like... Hold on, Barry, let me pull my milk truck over. <laughs> I can't hardly hear you. And uh, so I pull over, and he says, I, I hear you wrote a book about my products. And the first thing that went through my head is, oh, my God, he's going to sue me, you know? Because, like, I didn't ask them for permission. I just wrote it. And um, he said to me, would you pull out the first four chapters and just put them in an envelope and mail them to me? I want to read them. 
So I said, okay. I figured at that point, I, you know, I got nothing to lose, so I did. And a week later, uh, the vice president, Atticus Fiery, called me and asked me if I'd like to come down for a job interview. Uh, no, another week later, I was down there, and uh, I, while I was down there, Barry asked me if I would like to take a job as the corporate writer for McGuire's and take over all his writing duties. And I said yes. And so, uh, short story long, or long story short, a year later, I moved to uh, Irvine, California, and I took on the official position as the corporate writer for McGuire's uh, Mirror Glaze. So, That's I, awesome. Um, yeah. How long did you me, stay uh, with him? Uh, well, I was with McGuire's a total of 11 years, but at the corporate office for seven years. I started out as a corporate writer, and this thing called the Internet had come along, and I started uh, teaching classes out in their garage and sh- sharing them on discussion forums. And they actually came to me about a year after I was the writer and said, hey, we really like this thing you're doing on the Internet and in the garage. Why don't you write your own job description? So I did, and then they, they gave me the title Internet technical specialist, which to me always sounded like a guy that swaps out servers or something, but I was the guy that taught the classes and answered all the questions on the McGuire's discussion forum. Interesting. Yeah. And so uh, later on... Go ahead. Do you, do you do, like, strong coffee in the morning? What, I mean, what, you, you do a lot. What keeps, you, what keeps you going, like, 100 miles an hour nonstop? Uh, I don't know. Just mom and dad instilled a, a strong work ethic work in me. Ethic, I, I've just, yeah, never been lazy. You know, I told you I was a blue-collar working-class dog. You know, it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. So, Mike, uh, you <laughs> let, let's get into the beer. That's really why we're here. Uh, <laughs> you you wanted to do Blue Moon. What is it yeah. that you love about Blue Moon? Oh, I just like a good Hefeweizen. You know, I, I like the flavor. You know, you squish an orange slice into it, it gives it kind of a citrusy, you know, kick to it that's kind of, you know, light and delightful. But, you know, I like Maduro also. I like a good dark beer, but, you know, you, it's easy to find Blue Moon if you go out it's a lot of places. A lot of times it's harder to find Maduro, so I tend to just like a, a good half a Wizen, though. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Blue Moon. I, I went, I switched it up a little bit when I got to the liquor store and went with the Blue Moon Mango Wheat. Ooh. Yeah, I was Yo. going going for that flavor. Oh no, you're not a fan? No. I like <laughs> mango for salsa. <laughs> Sounds sweet. Oh it is. It's delicious. Don't worry, DJ. I'll drink them all. There won't be any for you to have. Oh I'll have them when I get back to the office. <laughs> you're gonna love it. It's a perfect beer for when you come back. Perfect. I'm, I'm at the lake right now and there's no beer here. No oh, man, that's terrible. That's terrible. I'm working. <laughs> So am I. Yeah, working that far. <laughs> that 12-ounce uh, curl. Uh, definitely. All right, hey, so, Mike, let's let's get into the first topic that we wanted to talk about. Um, you know, as, as we've kind of already discussed, the, the amount that you've done in the industry and really have kind of Hmm, transformed in a sense a lot of that is why McGuire you know latched onto you so much with the way you started writing and teaching. Let let's get into that discussion of how can somebody take on you know, and why should they learn from education? You know, let's let's go through that. Like, why do you think first of all education itself is important? Um, that's a good question. Well, here here's the here's. Sometimes I like to share quotes by famous people. 
So, and here's what I share a lot is from Eleanor Roosevelt, and it goes like this. Try to learn from other people's mistakes. You may not live long enough to make them all on your own. Hmm. And, yeah. and, um, and so that's what's good about attending, you know, a, a quality detailing class. You know, there's a number of us in the industry that have been here and done this for a long time. And, you know, I, in my opinion, teach a really good class. And you can go watch YouTube videos all day long, but nothing's going to beat a hands-on class with someone that's, you know, taking and putting their hand on your hand and showing you exactly what to do to get the results the fastest and the most efficient way. And, uh, you know, you just can't, you can't beat it. You know, I have people, I've been teaching classes for 32 years now, since 1987. And I have a lot of people from different backgrounds in my class, guys that have been doing it all their lives and people that are brand new. And the guys that have been doing it for a while, they always say, wow, I learned today I've been doing it wrong for 20 years. Or, wow, I learned today I've been doing it wrong for 10 years. Or, you know, fill in the blank. So, you know, there's just a lot to be said from taking a, a real hands-on class versus trying to watch a video. Nothing wrong with videos. But, you know, shoot, I got people that come to my class all the time and watch videos, and they say they, they're still not doing it right. So, Why do you think that is? Yeah. Tell me you can't learn off of YouTube? No, you can learn off YouTube, and I've got a lot of YouTube videos up there. In fact, I got a How to Wash Your Car video me and Richard Lynn made in, in 2006. And that was before YouTube got bought by Google, so that's one of the first YouTube videos up there on detailing. So you are an early activists in any form of education early in writing the book early in doing the the you said at mcguire's you would host the little garage clinics and then do the write-ups about it and then early into youtube uh so for you education is sort of how you've made your mark in the industry i i would say so i i have more how-to articles than anybody breathing um i i've been trying to get them all into one place so i could count them but probably over 500 and maybe less than 1,000 and probably any topic you can think of. In fact, if you go to Google and type in a couple keywords for any topic and just have my name, Mike Phillips, chances are you're going to pull up multiple articles and all of them with, you know, pictures, you know, just step-by-step -step instructions, kind of things like that. And it, it takes a lot of time to put that together. I mean, it's easier to make a video, just stand there and talk. It takes a lot of time to write out grammatically correct sentences, use formatting, learn how to work with pictures on the Internet. I always tell people, uh, you know, a monkey with a smartphone can put a picture on Facebook, but to put a picture up on a forum, actually, you know, it takes some brains, you know, and that's why most people don't do it because they don't know how to do it. So I actually write articles on how to work with pictures on the Internet. Not that I want to, but I try to show other people how to do it because it's, it's a skill set that can help you, whether you're building a website for your business or, you know, whatever you want to do. It's a skill set. That's interesting you say that, DJ. I mean, you and I have talked about that quite a bit where, you know, I don't know that we call detailers monkeys, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, but you're – Yeah, like you're, you're right. Like we, we talk and joke about how – they'll put the same photo over and over and not really give much discussion of, of why they took the photo or what the car did or give any really feedback for the, the customer. So, Mike, what you're saying is really 
it, it, it supports what we've been talking about just on a different format, you know, with Instagram, um, taking a good picture, having different angles, discussing why the customer got that service, what they did for the, you know, a lot of more backstory involved with it than like what you said, just taking a picture and putting it up there. Yeah, and, and see, the thing about that is, is um, the, some social media platforms, they just don't lend themselves well for education, okay? Instagram and Facebook are perfect examples. You can put a picture and you can throw some text up there, but you can't, you can't like, make a bold headline and then, you know, here's your headline. That draws the reader's attention in, you know, how to use detailing clay. Then the small normal text would be, you know, here's the steps, and then here's the picture. Then next is, the, you know, a headline, you, you know, in a linear format like I do on a discussion forum. And um, so, so, you know. Do you think you do tools. that, Mike? Do you think you do that because of that's what we were taught a long time ago? I mean, that's just, that's grammatically the way, and especially if you went and studied it in college, like you, yeah. that was probably really, you know, drilled into you. And, and today's, you know, social media isn't so much about having proper, you know, grammatic. Definitely, you know, with hashtags and all the different slangs that we can put in, it's definitely not about having proper grammar and definitely not about, you know, using different, you know, that style. Well, it's, but it's, sometimes it's just about doing the, if you're going to do a job, do it right. Like, I'm not going to ever write anything where I don't start out the sentence with a capital letter. So, you know, you can call that uh, old-fashioned or you can call that professional, however you want to look at it. But I'm just not going to be that guy. And um, it's just as easy for me to start a sentence with a capital letter and end the sentence with a period as it is for me to not do it. So I go ahead and do it. I'm not going to make any... Uh, rules for everybody else. Everybody else can do what they want to do, but I'm not going to ever be that guy. And, and you know, uh, I'll tell you a story. One time I was at uh, SEMA. Uh, this would be about 2008. And I was surprised by, I use the term captains of industry. I was surprised by how many business owners or vice presidents or people in media, you know, TV, that would come up to me and say, hey, I really enjoy your articles. Okay, well, when you got high-profile people reading your stuff, you know, you don't think you're stupid because you can't put together a cohesive paragraph in written form or even speak a cohesive sentence, you know, on video. So I get it. I, I kind of think the world tends to lean towards the movie Idiocracy, the pattern that we're going down versus, you know, anything else. If you've ever seen that movie, it's not flattering for our species. So, so thinking about that, and you know, one reason I had Ray, uh, Ray, Mike, I, don't, I didn't really properly introduce you a second ago. Uh, Ray joined our team what a couple months ago, and she's sh she's been a detailer at some dealerships, and um, she's going to be starting, which she has started, uh, Ray of Shine, her own detailing business. And so, thinking of you know the way the way you're talking. Is, is very educational for her. Um, you know, what insight would you give for a young detailer that's starting out for writing, you know, whether that's on Instagram or whether that's the next social or whether that's on YouTube or whether that's uh, LinkedIn or wherever they want to put out their content? Why do you think uh, it's well, that important for, the, you know, a real, real young person to have proper grammar and, and writing things out like that? Well, it kind of goes back to the old, uh, the old saying or the old adage, you know, you never get a second chance to make a good first impression. 
Mm. You know, so, I mean, and that's true. You, it ha- you, um, we're a very visual uh, species. And when you, um, when you make a great first impression, you know, you let people know that you're intelligent and educated and smart and worthy of their time and their money. And if you can't do that, you know, within the first, I think what they say is the first 45 seconds or the first 20 seconds a person meets somebody, you know, that could be in person or online, you want to make a good first impression. So, yeah, it's important to be able to present yourself well and show that you are educated and uh, then, then that'll go a long way to prove that you're also talented, <laughs> you know. Right. I tell you, the biggest turnoff I have in the social media world is uh, people that are rude, condescending, demeaning, yeah. and, uh, and use bad Preach language. It. Yeah. The amount, and we had um, we had a, a recent uh, episode with Wilson Auto Detailing, who has grown massively through YouTube, and you can understand then, as we put his stuff on, he had talked about how many people send him negative comments and negative, like the amount of negativity that people get, and then by us just putting his, him on there with our stuff, I got DMs, and I got messages about Oh, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow, seriously, guys? Like, can you not have a little fun in your life and a little optimism? And why do you always have to be so uh, negative? It's, it's sad. It's a sad commentary on society when it's, you know, all people can do is go negative. All they can do is attack. And um, switch on that negativeness and all that time you spent texting or messaging out a detailer and telling them what they're doing wrong. Actually put that time to good use. You might have a good, <laughs> well, I don't know, it's better on the line. You know, uh, go back to the movie Bambi. Run, Bambi, run! But if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. Move on. I move think. On. Why, why take the time to destroy somebody? Was that Thumper that that was told to? I think. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. It's, I'm sorry, but it's been a long time since I watched that show. Yeah, but that was my favorite movie as a kid. Absolutely favorite movie. I can see that, Marty. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, DJ, as you've grown through your career, you tend to always write professionally also. You know, you, you usually ex- describe things very well. What is it for you that you felt that you needed to do that, you know, similar to what Mike is saying? Just, I mean, upholding professionalism. I just, I know I've always, I guess, spoken very well, and I've just been raised that you need to hold yourself to, a, you know, a high standard, and that's just what I've always done, so I've just carry that into my business and then my professionalism has gained me much trust with you know certain high profile clients all through business even when i was working out of the trunk of my car you know i still had you know my uniform was dressed and i had nice polos tucked in shirt you know spoke really well with the clients and then the way i communicated via text or email was all professional i just i kind of tied that all up and it just helped me succeed i mean you had to be professional in order to be taken serious supposedly being a you know young kid in the trunk of my car just you know using slang terms and abbreviations and whatever have you that's really not going to go far to grow a business like i was trying to grow a business so i I agree i I, i'll tell you um you know one of the biggest struggles i think detailers have is getting paid big money you know anybody got details for cheap okay well well, the people that are going to pay big money are the people that have big money, and the people that have big money are educated, and they can listen and look and read you and tell if you're on their level or below their level. And if, if you're not making a good impression, they're going to find they're just not going to deal with you. So, you know, I, I want to I set a higher standard. I don't want to lower myself to a lower standard just because that's the way society goes. You know, that's, you know, let it go that way, but I ain't going with them. 
Yeah, yeah. I actually gained a client last week in a ceramic coating battle between a competitor here. And uh, I guess the fact that I didn't bash my competitor, all I talked about was how what our product does and how it can provide the service they need versus, oh, you should go with us because they're this and that and we're better than them. He called back and said, hey, man, I just got the phone with your competitor, and I like how you never talk about him one bit at all. You're very professional, and, and I, you have my business now. And the next day, the truck is in my shop. So, Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you and you want to – you, that's the kind of – that's all the types of customers you want. You don't just that one. You want all your customers like that. Exactly. You know, so for, forge out a customer base of qualified people with expendable cash, not price shoppers, you know, because, <laughs> you know, so – Anyway, yeah, for uh, for Ray, I like her business name, a Ray of Sunshine. That's that's catchy. Uh, yeah, because you know. she's a ray of shine herself, just bubbling yeah, with personality. Gonna, super bubbly, way outgoing, does not shut up, loves to talk. Yeah, be always ready. To she gave you, she the, gave you a. Mm. Uh huh. <laughs> but yeah, take the high road. You know, my my, my uh, former manager McGuire's would always tell me that. Take the high road. You know the. It's easy to take the low road. Don't don't go that way. Cool. All right. So let's talk. Let's go into to number two because I'm guessing that I'm the only one drinking beer right now. You are, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think Ray's old enough yet, is she? No, she's not old enough yet. And I think she's allergic, right? Yeah. Now that is true. So uh, I'll community myself. I'm I'm one with myself on community. You're choosing your own beer. What a bad, sad guy. No, that's a that's a wonderful attribute. Uh, I'm loving the mango wheat. I I was I I didn't know if we had it last year or not, and we did. We did. Okay, I couldn't remember. I think it's I think it's just the right amount of mango. It's not overly sweet. Because mango. You're getting really old, Marty, and getting all these weird sweet beers. <laughs> and all this. I think you need a yeah. Hey, so Mike, the joke is actually the other way around. All my, all of our careers together, DJ has always called me old until he just turned thirty, and all the stuff that I kept talking about, he started going, "Oh, my body, this. Oh, this happened." He changed his favorite beer. He changed the way he drinks. Everything changed up when he turned to thirty. Let's get back to your fruit, fruit beer. How you like it? That's funny. Uh, so that's that's the joke. I'm the old man. All right, so we're talking for topic number two, Mike, about, you know, your – let me ask this question. Do you – I mean, as as you start, you know, you, you I think you said you're 58, right? Yeah, I'm 58. 58, I mean, do you have a retirement idea, mindset of when that's coming? Is that a never – like you said, do you just want to work the rest of I mean, do you ever think about that? Where are you at on that? Oh, gosh, yeah. Every time I'm floating around the pool with my wife, I want to be retired. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the retirement would be awesome. You know, here's something. I think about that, and a couple things I would just point out from recent observations of other people. I recently seen a person who retired from their career job, they didn't have a plan, and their health went downhill. Yeah, it's like they once their job was gone, they had no reason to live, and yeah. it showed up in their physiology. Um, then I look at guys like, and I'm gonna I'm gonna draw some names you guys have heard: uh, Wayne Carini, Barry McGuire, Dennis Gage, 
those those three guys all have 10, maybe 20 years on me, and they are vibrant and active and healthy. And I never see those guys retiring from the car industry. You know, um, I just you know every time I turn around, they're doing something cool and doing something new. Um, so uh, I, I think I think our society has this. You know, our society has changed. It used to be you got a job at Detroit assembling Fords and. When you turn 65, you're retired and you got put out to pasture, and those kinds of career jobs are gone now. So, um, you know, it's, I just think I think have it, if you if you love what you do, you know the old saying: if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. But if you love what you do, you know, then do it. You know, just, who says you got to stop? But yeah, someday I'd like to retire and just float around the pool. <laughs> and when you, I mean, what do you put a? a a map on that with a date or is it just an idea or what? Um, again, if I had to look at uh, some of my contemporaries in this industry, I, uh, I, I would say, um, I guess it would have to be, uh, you know, in, in seven years I'll be 65, 65, but like uh, I'm shooting a TV show with Dennis Gage this year and I know next year, so uh, I know Dennis isn't retiring, and I think he's at least 10 or 15 years older than me. So I don't know. I like what I do. I like showing people how to detail cars, and I like detailing cool cars. I don't really like doing mundane daily drivers, but a couple weeks ago, a guy brought me a 1969 Dodge Coronet 426 Hemi car, and uh, I thought that was a pretty damn cool car, you know, and it was all rolled out and covered with overspray. And I never buffed out a 426 Coronet Hemi car. I buffed out a lot of Hemi cars, but not that particular model. So I wrote an article called Bucket List, 1969 Dodge Coronet Hemi. And I said, this is kind of like a bucket list car. It's a, it's, I can mark this one off. I've done one now. That's awesome. That's right. yeah. so, so thinking, though, like looking back and saying you still got, you know, hopefully – 10 to 15 years, so we, we all would love to continue <laughs> further, right? You know, we just never know what the next day holds. But, you know, wishing you yeah. the, the best success in the, the rest of your life and the rest of your career. Looking back at the journey that you've come, you know, that's what I, I kind of wanted to look at legacy for, you know, the second topic. Because, you know, I brought up a little bit ago, we had Luke Wilson on from Wilson Auto Detailing, who's just starting also just a couple of years ago. He's 22 but he's absolutely exploded through YouTube and, you know, through his training, what he wants to do through business, um, you know, and there's the different people, different detailers that we talk to that are from, you know, different uh, age groups. We, you know, DJ, myself, you, we've all, you know, spent majority of our careers in this industry. So from perspectives of a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, and, you know, an almost a 60-year-old, thinking of the legacy that you can leave um, – I, w I want to ask this to DJ first. I mean, DJ, when you think of of being, you know, twenty, thirty more years in the in the industry, I mean, what is it that you hope to to put out as you know the legacy of DJ Patterson stamp on on the industry? Um, in this industry, yeah, I just really want to help people get further along, especially the young people, and help them set up systems and think and things to help them run their business better opposed to just really systematize their businesses so that they can kind of run an autopilot in a sense um, and really help them either scale or have more time if they're a one-man show. Um, so really just really help with the 
more the business aspect of it because a lot of these guys, like myself, we didn't go to college. Some may have dropped out of high school. I mean, there's very little, I guess, business education, like schooling, um, and it's all learn as you go. And it could take some of us, you know, five, maybe ten years to really get it down. But if I can teach people from all my failures that I've had, you know, through business and help them start out where I currently am knowledge-wise, they're going to be so much better off for success. So kind of help people jumpstart their businesses. And, and, you know, it would be cool to, yeah, they look back and say, hey, DJ, help me. But I'm not really looking for the glory. It's just I love helping people with businesses in particular, especially with systems and how to run the back ends of your business and, and really maximize your everything in business. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Mike, when you look back at, at your career, what stamp do you hope that you've left or will continue? I'm sorry. I mean, continue to leave. But, I mean, let's say you're, t- you know, you're about to head out and say peace. You know, what, what is it that you hope that you left with detailers uh, and your stamp on the industry? Um, well, you know, as a person that's uh, written a boatload of articles for the industry, um, I, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of times when I see people talking in, about detail and they making a video, and sharing information, I'm thinking, yeah, I wrote that article 15 years ago. They're sharing something I shared with them. They just may not know I was the original source for that. So I think I kind of already have made a mark in the industry. There was a a detailing book put out over in the U.K. called In the Details, and I think on page 13, the author gave me credit for coining a lot of the terms we take and use every day in the industry, like LSP, RIDs, HESPOT, things like this. And these are all terms I coined as I started my writing career in this industry back in 1994. Yeah, so my first article awesome. I can trace back to 1994. Uh, but kind of like uh, DJ was saying, like he wanted to help other people, but he just, he just summarized what he wanted to do by quoting Eleanor Roosevelt. He wants to help people learn, you know, maybe not from his mistakes, but learn from his successes so they can, launch you know immediately being successful instead of having to learn everything on their own you know so um but the same kind of thing you know i i know it's really if anybody can buff out a car the business side is the hardest part so in my my detailing classes i teach guys how to make money detailing cars i don't have a formal day set aside where you sit in a chair and listen to me yap but as we go through the cars, every time something I can take and apply it to, here's how you can use this to make money, I do a brain dump and I share that right then and there. Yeah. No, that's cool. What, when thinking back of your career, what's been the biggest mistake that you've made? Um, I, I, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Uh, a few years ago when Rennie Doyle wrote his book, How to Start a Part-Time Detailing Business, uh, he asked me and Jason Rose and a couple other guys to contribute, you know, some of the things that we learned. And um, one of the things that I, I, he asked was, if you could go back and do it over again, what would you do? And what I wrote in uh, his book was, I would learn the art of turning work down. And, and by that I mean, and I share this probably at least weekly on the forum when I'm answering people's questions. But what I mean by that is, you know, um, when you're first starting out, of course, 
in most cases, you need the money. So whatever pulls in the driveway or calls on the phone or texts you, you're going to take it. But at some point, when you get to the point where you don't need to take every job, then don't take every job. You know, someone comes along and says, hey, yeah, I've got this van and my kids threw up and the dog peed in it. You know, can you fix it? That's when you say, you know, that's when you say, I'd love to fix it, but my schedule's full. Here's my friend Jim's phone number. Call Jim. He can help you. So you got to do it. You got to do it professionally. But yeah, you, you, you turn that work down because you're not going to make any money on it. You spend all your time doing work and the guy won't want to pay, won't appreciate it. So learn the art of turning work down. The other thing is, is um, a few years ago at Mobile, Mobile Tech Expo, um, I started teaching a class that I call how to become the recognized expert in your hometown. You which was, which was the first time I ever met you. I was about to say that. That was the class. I'd never met you before. I've watched some of the stuff, read some of your stuff. But then I sat down at that class specifically to see you speak, and I went, wow. The first of all, I would, I would say that very simple, which is why you're successful. I mean, you, you know how to write, but you also know how to speak. You say the right words, and you're a very good orator of, of what you're communicating. Very similar to Justin Lobato. That guy just always seems to know the right words to say. He pauses at the right time, like has very good fluctuation of his voice and is a very good orator. I, I would say that about – that was the first thing I remember when I sat down in that class was I was like, wow, very impressive. Thank you. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, but then the next day you tried to film me as a as a SV, so you know it it, it is what it is. <laughs> hey, I've been told I'm the hardest SV tester there is, and, and if that's true. Then <laughs> we, we've joked about it multiple times. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I still remember telling you though. I was like, Mike, I. I, I've maybe only cleaned like one aluminum wheel in my whole life. Like, I'm sorry. I, I just don't know how you tell between a, a, a polished aluminum. Like, I was like, you're just going to have to tell me and knock the points off. <laughs> I think it was the fender well that got you. Oh, yeah. And then you got me on the fender lip. Like, I was like, yeah. man, I wiped that part. What are you talking about? You're like, no, you got to say fender lip. I was like, ah. Oh. Yeah. You know, and that is something that almost everybody fails when they take that SC test if they haven't taken my class. See, in my class, I teach about 90% of the stuff on the SV test. So if you take my class and you listen, you got a pulse, you'll pass the SV test. But, uh, but no one ever said everybody cleans it. They don't say the words fender lip. We all clean it, but on the test, no one says it. See the difference? You guys got a free answer on the podcast. <laughs> and speaking of that, DJ, we've talked about it. Um, you know, the the IDA has, uh, you know, they have to get your regular um, association credentials. You have to have eight hours of continuing education. education. And That's by right. listening to the podcast, and especially this one here with Mike Phillips, detailers can get one hour accreditation by listening to the podcast. There you go. So, yeah. yeah, buddy. So, so anyway, you were talking about that class that you teach. Yes. Oh, and uh, uh, well, you asked me what kind of, if I wanted how I was going to leave my mark, but you know that's one of the things I share with guys because, you know, um, recently I saw someone say, "Hey, you know, if you want to get some good customers, go to car shows and hand out flyers." And I, flyers, and I thought, "Wow, no, that's really horrible. bad advice." <laughs> yeah, horrible, horrible advice. advice. 
<laughs> First of all, you'll never get any business, and you'll piss off a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and here's the deal. You know, everybody wants to buff out cool cars. I mean, it's a lot more fun to buff out, a, you know, something cool, whether it's a Ferrari or Chevelle, than it is to buff out a 2014 Honda four-door Accord that's beige, right? Um, and, and for the right clientele with those types of cars, you also get more money, and then you get their friends. So one of the things I, I try to share with people is the way you get to work on cool cars is you you have to demonstrate that you can be trusted. And one, the way that worked for me happened by accident. Because I worked for McGuire's, I taught classes for all the car clubs. And when you teach a class for a car club, here's how it works. So there will be three types of people in that club. you gotta, you got to remember, if someone's in the Mustang club, they're already a car enthusiast. They're, duh, they're in a club, okay? So they're already enthusiasts, and there's three types. There's a person that's a do-it-for-me, there's a person that doesn't care, and there's a do-it-yourselfer. And when you're done teaching like a 45-minute class, just on the basics, just you're there to help them. Here's how you do this stuff. And, of course, in my class, I walk through all the things to do. Um, but when you're done, some of the people are going to walk up to you and say, hey, that was really interesting. This week, and I'm going to go to AutoZone and buy some detailing clay and clay my Mustang. And some people are going to go, wow, that's really interesting. Thanks for being here. Where's the bar? Where's the food? And then some people are going to go, wow, that's really interesting. I don't really want to do this, but I can tell the way you spoke, you know what you're doing. How much do you charge to buff out my Mustang? Boom, you're in. You do one club member's car, and next time they show their friends, they go, yeah, that guy that gave the little presentation, yeah, he did this. They're going to go, wow, that looks good. You know, what's his number? You know, all you got to do is do good work, and uh, if you do it long enough, it'll pay off. So, so Ray, who's here, wants to target um, kind of that streetcar scene to guys that have, is that is that what we're saying, Ray, streetcars? Uh, so basically your wisdom to her would be to go set up clinics and educating streetcars guys on how to clean their car. Uh, when you say streetcars, does it go a little deeper? What kind of cars? What, what are we talking about? Name a couple of cars that are a lot of imports yeah well here here's my advice um those guys and i worked in wires when they launched the nxt line that specifically went after the tuner market and the tuner guys at least back then they didn't care how their car looked they want to bolt on a loud muffler and a big wing okay so um you know the cars are cool uh fast and furious i get it all uh but um those guys are probably never going to pay who's here's who's going to pay the person that just bought the brand new audi a6 uh, the guy that does have the Ferrari or the brand-new Corvette or the brand-new BMW or the brand-new Mercedes, those are the people that are going to play, and they all have clubs. I, I taught a lot of clubs, classes for tuner clubs, and I'm just telling you straight up, when they're young and they're building that Honda, they don't really care about swirls or clang. And so they're probably not going to pay you, but you can go after it if you want to. I hate to I'm just trying to help you, but just go after that market. McGuire's tried, and they failed. You know, they failed. The NXT line is gone. Where'd it go? gone yeah i don't know there's there's definitely some guys that you know as streetcar take over and those type of clubs come through or shows there's a lot of detailers that market and do pick up some you know i i, I i'm not saying it can't be done yeah i'm just saying you know if you want to look at the odds you know i think the odds are better of making good income by going after uh, a different demographic group of car owners that's all yeah Totally get it. And, and, yeah, and I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it firsthand. Mm -hmm. so. so we were talking a little bit ago about failures. Uh, let's, 
as you guys think of things that maybe that you've well, – DJ, did you express your failure or not? What's uh, been your biggest uh, failure? Um, biggest failure, one of them is not capturing all the information from the client, so email addresses specifically. Um, and just initially I just went out, did a card, got some cash, and went home. Went out, did a card, got some cash, and went home. Opposed to building that client base, which we do now really well. But that definitely kind of put us behind once I began to know the power of email marketing. And um, and you make more money off of current clients. And you do, it, it costs you less to, to get to – it costs you more to try to get a new client than it is to get money from an existing client. So things like that. All right. So as you guys talk about failures, um, why do you think – Failures are important for growing into a long-term career in detailing because, I mean, nobody likes to have mistakes. Nobody likes to have oopsies or fuck-ups or however you want to call it. It definitely hurts your pride. It hurts your maybe even your business short-term. You know, what is it about failures that can help us grow into creating a full career, a full legacy, so to speak, out of, uh, of being in the detailing industry? Mike? Hello? Oh, oh sorry. There, here I am. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to mimic what uh, DJ said, that um, if you make more money off a repeat customer versus the effort and time it's going to require to get a new customer. Um, I, I have a guy that, uh, I mean, once I get a good customer, once you prove yourself on one car, all of a sudden it's a lot easier for them to bring you all their cars. And one thing young guys should remember is, is, is if you're going after the cool cars, a lot of guys, uh, owners, they're going to test you on their mundane daily driver. <laughs> they're not going to give you the Corvette. Or the wife's car. They're going to give you the wife's car. And if you do good there, then you get the Corvette. So don't ever discount, you know, taking mundane daily drivers. It could be a test. Uh, but the mistakes I, I would say are the ones to avoid are just like DJ says, you know, you've got to uh, figure out, a, you've got to come up with a, um, a way to capture however people like to be contacted, whether it's text or email, so you can reach them over and over again. Remind them, hey, it's spring, it's time to get that F-150 detailed. <laughs> yeah, but uh, over the mistakes of your career, I mean, how would, how would you, you speak to detailers as they go throughout their career that, hey, mistakes happen, you know, how do you take a mistake and learn from it? Why are mistakes important to make so that you can continue a career in detailing? Um, well, uh, uh, that is a good question. And uh, the thing about a mistake is, is it's not really a mistake. It's an investment in your future as long as you learn from it. Um, if you make a mistake and learn from it, you're smart enough not to make it over again, so now you're not going to have to pay the price of making a mistake again. So I would never say mistakes are bad. They're better to avoid them, but if you learn by them, then it's a good thing. So try to learn from your mistakes and uh, then don't repeat them and you know, that kind of thing. Does that help? Is that kind of what you wanted? Yeah, no, that's all good. It's, it's whatever you want to say. I mean, do you, do you find that, as you continue through your career, you, you make more mistakes or less mistakes? Oh, less mistakes. Definitely less mistakes. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you could get what they call the Darwin Award. Which is what? Doing the same thing over and over? <laughs> yeah, well, if you do the same thing over again, it might catch up with you one day and you won't be here. 
So, but yeah, avoid mistakes. The Darwin Award, it's a, it's a joke. <laughs> evolution. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, evolution or not being here for the evolution. I, I actually think things go through an evolution. You know, like uh, the learning process is an evolution as long as you learn from it. Yeah. So. DJ. My classes are always an evolution. True, DJ. What about you? Sorry? I said, what about you? Uh, yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was Sorry, saying, I was saying, like, as you've grown through your career and you've made mistakes, like, why are mistakes important? Uh, how are they important? And w- what advice do you give on them? Uh, mistakes are extremely important, obviously. I mean, um, I think that's the best way to learn is through mistakes. You kind of get to analyze it went wrong, how you can do it different in the future, and you just become better. I mean, I don't feel like you can really learn if everything's always perfect. So I love failures. I love mistakes. I like when my team members give me critical feedback as me as the owner of the company, and they say, hey, man, I don't like this. I don't like that. And I'm not the smartest person alive. I mean, everyone has different strengths and gifts and talents that are far different than mine. So I learn from other people. I learn from my mistakes, and that's the only way to grow, really. All right. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, so if I'm the only one drinking, I'm the only one going to rate this beer. But, Mike, you love Blue Moon. It's kind of one of your favorites. If you could rate Blue Moon 1 to 5, how would you rate it? Oh, I'd, I'd give it a 5. That oh boy. <laughs> do you go orange in or orange out? Do you squeeze the orange and get it, or do you just leave it on the on the tip? Oh, no, I, I squeeze it till there's nothing left to come out, then I throw the orange away. I don't put it back in there to soak up the precious beer or the orange essence. Ah, throw it away, huh? Uh-oh, yeah, you don't eat it as a snack afterwards? Oh, I might do that. There if we I have go. confidence that it's clean. If I have confidence it's clean, like one of the germiest things out there is the, the fruit at a uh, an adult you know, watering hole, so to speak. And the nuts, so, right? I, I mean, yeah, I'm usually not a, 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 like, I don't like fruit. I don't like people handling fruit and putting it in my drink. Um, but once it's there, then, yeah, eat, squeeze the orange and then throw it away. Eat the, eat the pulp and throw the rest away. Yeah. Well, I'm rating this Blue Moon Mango Wheat, and it's it's definitely getting a five all the way. I mean, I love Blue Moon anyway. Uh, done the tour, bought the hat. It's a great tour, um, except for the other beer that's there. That's Something about the Rockies, I don't know. It's kind of gross, but uh, you know, I, I no, definitely not that that bottom of the barrel beer that you had last oh, week. Oh, here we go. That bottom of the barrel Coors Light, I definitely was not a fan. But uh, but Blue Moon straight from the tap at the uh, brewery was unbelievable. Um, wow. Yeah, the mango wheat though, I'm giving it a five. I love that mango sweetness to it. It's not overpowering. The only thing I would like just a little bit more of that that good Hefeweizen, as you call it, that German uh, wit beer. I would like just a little bit more of that into it. But, man, I, you could drink this all summer long. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right, so, Mike, we have what's called, at the end of our episodes, we have what's called the tab-out question. So this is where you get to ask us any question. It can be detail-related or non-detail-related, and then we encourage detailers to answer the question also. Gotcha. Well, uh, I guess the first question, I, I, I thought about this, and the first question that um, I had a couple questions. One was, um, what, what 
drove you to start doing a podcast with this theme, pints and polishing? What was there some kind of specific incident, or is it just kind of a passion for polishing and a passion for pints? Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was a couple of different instances. Uh, I, which we've said over and over on the podcast, I'm, I listened to a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, and. He drills down that everybody should have a podcast. If you're into, if you're a business, you, you know, first he talks about social and why everybody should have a social media presence and then how voice is going to be one of the next things that uh, you, sh- you should all start developing a podcast. And we just kind of looked at the industry. DJ and I sat down and we, we wanted to be different. Um, we didn't want to just do a sit and chat. We wanted to interject um, – something that we love to do and we tossed around some other ideas really it just landed on beer like most detailers all drink beer we we love to drink beer and so we just thought hey let's do a beer and detailing podcast and we just came up with pints and polishing it just seemed to seem to go so oh i I love it i wish i would have thought of it yeah i think it's great and uh I remember the first time you guys asked me to be a part of one of your podcasts, and I think you handed me a beer, and it was uh, it's all been good since then. So, yeah, hats off to you guys. Uh, that was a theme of night, yeah. Yeah, it's hats off. It's a, I think it's a great idea. I mean, uh, you got to have a theme. Might as well have a fun theme. Yeah, and you came to the Mobile Tech Pint Night. I really appreciate both of those that you came to. And we're going to do – are you going to go to Mobile Tech uh, Vegas? Well, we'll do a pint night there, and then we'll do one at SEMA again. So uh, I'll definitely always bring you a glass and invite you over. We love having you coming out for those. Hey, I'll be there. Yeah. Okay, so then my other question for you guys would be, um, how did you get into car detailing versus any other direction that you thought you might have went or that you actually started to go down, like starting to become a lawyer or you know, plumber or fill in the blank, blank you know? DJ? No, my competitor. You started it with my competitor, and you got drove. You had this strong desire to come to the mothership. Now, you went to school, though, right? And you thought about it. Uh, I did. I went to school for a little bit in college for uh, for business, and I wanted to do some other, you know, BS, whatever. It just nothing really serious. And then I think when I, I was sitting in statistics class, and my phone would always ring for people wanting details. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in school. I can do it on the weekends, whatever, whatever. And I remember we took a test in statistics, and I would always skip this class because I hated math. And uh, I remember one time I was just sitting there, and I didn't study for the test. I knew I was going to fail, and I just got up, walked out, never turned back to college again. And ever since then, I've just grown and grown and grown. So don't recommend that for everyone if you're in school, but 
I do wish I would have uh, definitely maybe gone, you know, and completed schooling, and who knows what would have happened. But uh, I enjoyed my decision, and I don't regret it. Yeah. I've only heard that a couple times, that you were in a stat class and gotten and stood up and walked out. You don't share that very often. Hey, yeah, that's my story. Yeah. I have six credits left uh, to get my associate's degree, and I'm, I don't really see a point. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, Mike, I, uh, I was working for a church, actually. Um, very miserable, hated my job, and was just complaining to one of my roommates while we were sitting down eating Chinese food. And... He said, hey, I've seen some guys cleaning cars. Why don't you do that? And I I, I had I literally, I just said, okay. I had an Azuzu rodeo, and I was like, man, I love cleaning my rodeo. And I went to the bank, and they loaned me $4,000. And it's funny, when I started the chemical business, I only had $4,000 also. Uh, so, you know, it just bought a trailer and went and got a power washer and just started cleaning cars and quit my job a couple I don't know a couple of weeks later I just it it just happened to be the the thing that he told me to do and I fell in love with the process I think a lot of it's because of the ADD and you can hyper focus on something get it done you can see results very quick you don't have to wait months and months like you can get results immediately and I enjoy that gratification of it and uh it's just I've I've jumped in and around a bunch of different things. DJ jokes like I was going to start a head lice removal business. I've owned cell phone stores. I've I've done a bunch of different things. Just I think that's the entrepreneur in me just jumping out and trying a bunch of random stuff to figure out what I like. And I sometimes people have told me I should sell stuff or sell insurance or sell this. And I just I've always just gone back to, but I love detailing and I love this work and. I just kind of put my anchor down, and it's my career. Well, maybe you can relate to this because, um, you know, there's been times in my career, e- even in the last, let's say, 15 years, where um, I have detailed someone's car, and this happened at McGuire's where management would say, hey, why are you detailing cars? You know, you, you do this for us here. And um, and I say, well, um, it's my passion. It's it's how I got to where I'm at now. And I also I, I got I got you know I was kind of dressed down for it. And and uh, I, I guess I didn't appreciate it because in my life, and I'm sure you guys have done the same thing. I I, I meet guys. Here's a good example. I met a guy who had a '56 uh, Chevy Nomad street rod. You know, spent years building it. Paid a real good painter to paint it. Then the painter sanded it and buffed it. When he's done, it looked like crap. You know, so so now. He doesn't know anything about polishing paint, but he would have thought that the painter could have handled that. If they can paint the car, can't they polish it? We all know that's not true. And um, so he doesn't – he can't fix it. He didn't trust the painter to fix it. He didn't trust anybody else to touch it. So now he's got this badass, you know, Viper Red uh, 56 Nomad. It looks like crap. And then somehow we met, and he hired me to polish it out. And it came out exactly how he wanted, how he hoped and dreamed his street rod would look for years. And it finally looks that way. So I take gratification in helping guys actually get their car to look the way they always dreamed it would look, not a swirled out, hacked up mess. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I just, you know, besides, you know, deselling cars actually grunt labor. You know, it's just hard work. You know, sitting your butt on the ground, washing some of the guys' wheels and tires, that's not fun. 
but the, the, the process and the end result is always worth it. You know, it's the gratification of doing a job well done and making somebody's uh, their dream come true. Yeah, love that. That's always been my big thing too, right, DJ? I mean, we love to have the customer sit there and ooh and awe over how great their car looks. That's the biggest satisfaction, yeah. I think. It's the worst when you spend extra hours getting that last inch of something that they'll never see, and they pick it up and say, <laughs> okay, cool, thanks. Yeah, I actually got more pictures of me laying on and buffing out paint that nobody looks at than on someone else's car than, you know, my own car. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also, I want to yeah, share something with you guys. I've seen a trend uh, the last four or five years now, which I find very interesting. I have a lot of guys that take my class, and um, they're not detailers. They're, they have a career job, firemen, policemen, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, I just had a girl take my class. She's a 911 dispatcher. She just took my big two-day class. She never detailed a car in her life. But what, they're gonna, what they do is, in her case, she's just burnt out on answering dramatic phone calls. Hey, our house is on fire. Yeah. Yeah, so she, she she always knew she loved working on cars, so she took the class for that reason. But I had two um, real estate development people, two construction workers, they don't build houses, um, and uh, a Department of Defense guy that couldn't even tell us what he did. And all, all these people are coming and taking this class because they're going to retire from their career job. And what they want to do is they want to do what they love. They love working on cars. And nowadays, you can, when you say work on cars, you know, that could invoke the idea of, putting on a, a starter motor or changing spark plugs. But practically speaking, people don't work on new cars. You take it to the dealership, they work on it. So nobody's going to retire from their career job and, and open up Joe's mechanic shop. It's just, it doesn't happen nowadays. It's, just, it's not that kind of thing, right? So what's left if a guy wants to work on cars? What's left to work on? Detailing. And, and, and it's, 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 the, it's the aesthetics. It's the appearance side, you know, taking some guys rolled out you know, fill in the blank and making it beautiful for them and then getting handsomely rewarded. So um, it's not just young people that are going into this career. It's I've seen a lot of seasoned people starting detailing business in their 50s, their 60s, and their 70s. Mm, that's crazy. Passion. It's definitely, which we have said, it is now today is the best time to ever be a detailer than any past. Definitely. Yeah. As long as, you're as long as you're educated, you got to be able to walk the talk, you know? Right, but the opportunity, which you've already even talked about, you used to only have four products. With all the different yeah. opportunity that you have to, to be a detailer now, there's no other opportunity that you'll get to where you could jump out and go and, and make a career out of it than there is today. So. Uh, and, and that's also true, and, and it doesn't take a huge investment to start. Right. Okay, it's just... Oh, no, I was just saying, right, yeah. Oh, did we lose you? No, I'm, I'm here. Oh, okay, cool. Well, Mike, give us, your, give us your social media handles or if somebody wants to send Mike Phillips a, an email or, a, you know, how does somebody get a hold of you? All, all my social media handles are um, uh, platforms are, are through AutoGeek, so... I, I think it's interesting. A lot of people send me a friend request to my personal Facebook page, and um, there was actually a point at one time where I, I had friends, and one day my wife said, who are all these people? I go, oh, they're detailers. I go, get rid of them. So uh, if, if you're one of those people that sent me a friend request to my personal page that has a picture of me and my wife on the beach getting married, uh, don't have your feelings hurt because I didn't accept you as a friend. It's just that's, that's my personal life, and my professional life is uh, Facebook.com 
slash mikephillips.autogeek. You know, if people want to find me, they can find me. Instagram is uh, mikephillipsautogeek, uh, the same thing. Uh, Twitter, the same thing, mikephillipsautogeek. It's all mikephillipsautogeek. And uh, my email is plastered all over the Internet. If someone really wants to find it, they can find it. But it's mike.phillips at autogeek.net. And, of course, I post all my articles to a forum. Um, Facebook does not work good for articles. And so if, uh, if you want to find my articles, they're all on autogeekonline.net. And that's also where I answer questions and post uh, new product and tool reviews, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. I, f- I find it a more stable uh, platform that endures the test of time. I can link to it 20 years from now. Where if you post something on Facebook, it can be hard hard to find it tomorrow. You know. So. Yeah, that's awesome, DJ. Yeah, you can find me at DJ Patterson uh, on Instagram, DJ Patterson on Facebook, or our, our business is at Eco Green MD. If you're interested in how we uh, what our business is like. Um, yeah, you can find the podcast at Science and Policy Podcast on Instagram as well. Uh, more there than Facebook, so definitely shoot us a DM if you guys have any questions. Or yeah, what the hell? All right, Ray. Ray, uh, what's your social media handle where people can reach out and find you? Um, the detailing is Ray of Shine, and my personal is just uh, I think it's just Raven. I don't know, but isn't it Ray of Shine with two E's? Yeah, Ray of Shine with two E's. Ray of Shine with two E's. All right, cool. You can find us at Total Auto Solutions or on the podcast page at Pints Polishing Podcast. Mike Phillips, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time that you spent. I know, like you said, you're right in the middle of packing a whole bunch of stuff for a road show. It was a great opportunity to sit and chat with you, man. I really appreciate it. Love everything that you've always done to help. So uh, just we want to say thank you for that. Hey, I, I think you guys are doing a great service for the industry, and I love your podcast. They're fun to listen to, so thank you. Hey, you're thank welcome, you. man. Congratulations. Oh, <laughs> appreciate it. Hope you have a great day, Mike. Thank you, guys. Stay safe out there in Oklahoma and everywhere. All right, yeah. will do. Appreciate it. Bye now. Hey, detailers. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. What do you do now? Well, hopefully you can go leave a comment under our IG. Hopefully you'll give us some feedback on what you love about the podcast. And hopefully you'll give us a review. You know, five stars doesn't hurt. But we'll take one if that's all you got. (laughs) Hey, this is Marshall, Total Auto Solutions. Make it a great day.